that time again. It is time for the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home to Chicago Cubs checking. And you can check us out, as always, wherever you get your podcasts on Apple or Spotify. But uh, there's a new wrinkle. It's new. It's improved. You can also check us out visually on the Marquee Sports Network application or the app what all the kids are calling it these days. And in the meantime, time for me to introduce uh, some of my running buddies today. As always, Tony Andraki, our digital content manager at Marquee Sports Network. And today it's a special treat because we're welcoming Carrie Muscat. She was the Cubs beat writer for MLB.com from 2001 through 2018. And she's the author of many books. You know her from From Banks to Sandberg to Grace. And her new one is The Big 50, The Man and the Moments Who Made the Chicago Cubs. It really takes a deeper dive into the 50 best figures and moments throughout the illustrious history of the Chicago Cubs. Carrie, thanks so much for joining us. The pleasure's all ours. Oh, no, thank you. I'm just sorry I'm not in Arizona right now. So That, that makes two of us. Uh, we can yeah. talk about Tony and his uh, warm weather in just a little bit. But in the meantime, yeah. you know, when you look at this new book, The Big 50, The Men, The Moments Who Made the Chicago Cubs, what, what was one of the hardest parts of actually putting pen to paper in this one for you? Uh, the hardest part was coming up or trimming it down to 50 because when they when the publisher Triumph first contacted me, uh, I said I remember sitting down and watching a Cubs uh, game against the Giants. It was a day game, and I started rattling off, writing down like 50 moments, boom, just like that. I mean, I could have come up with 50 moments just from the 2016 season alone, yeah. and and so that was that was tough just to trim it down. So what I did was I kind of cheated a little bit it's 50 plus there's some sidebars in there so that uh for example hank sauer who was the mvp in in 52 he doesn't get a chapter but i was able to get a little sidebar in him so it's kind of like 50 plus so we i'm not very good at math and obviously i went over the 50 limits here so how did you weigh the the kind of recent past? Because as you mentioned, 2016 was obviously, you know, the, the most historic and probably content-filled year in Cubs history uh, and some of the other more distant past. Because I know, you know, David Bodie in 2018 has a season and, and like the 2017 NLDS was in there too. So how did you kind of weigh maybe some somewhat recency bias that so many Cubs fans alive know these memories with some of the more past uh, and, and distant past memories? Well, what was funny is the publisher asked me for a list of like the top 25 right away, asked, asked for that. So I sent him that and he said, well, Chris Bryant isn't on this list. And, uh, and I said, well, that's because he's kind of like 26, you know, you just asked for 25, you know, if you want 26 or 50, I'll give you the rest of them. So I think the publisher was a little interested in, in names that, uh, a lot of people, a lot of readers now would know. And I was still able to get incorporate a lot of the history. There's a chapter, I wanted to do something on the 2018 season and Bodie's walk-off against the Nationals was just so huge and such a key moment. So kind of focused on that for 2018. Um, I have to give a shout out to uh, Nate Holm of the Cubs video uh, and the uh, baseball operations department because I was asking them, I, I had like one slot open for a chapter and I was asking them if there was some game that they remember that was just so key from that season. And they talked about Wade Davis's performance in that game. And so that's how that chapter came about. So that's Nate Holmes chapter. But anyways, uh, the rest of it was, a lot of it was um, my husband and I sort of sat down. He's 
been a Cubs fan forever. So we sat down. I came up with my list. He he checked over that. Uh, we agreed on some things. I don't think I think we might have disagreed on maybe one, but that's because his his favorite player is George Altman. So maybe next time we'll get a George Altman chapter in there. But uh, that's about it. Gary, one of my favorite chapters had to be the one about the, the, the it seems like it's the only guy who got his chapter as a nickname. Andre Dawson, of course, yeah. the Hawk. And, you know, you, you had Sean Dunstan in there talking about how he really became a professional because of the, the, the leadership of Andre Dawson and Ryan Sandberg. Some of those side notes, as you may yeah. mention, of, but, you know, it's it's the, the top 50 moments. You said you had a whole bunch if there, there were if there was any room for extra. What, what was the number one that made the cut? What was number 51? Number 51 that made the cut. That's a good question. Um, I don't, like I say, it was, I think we, I kind of slipped him in with the sidebars, you know, like, like to me, Hank Sauer was huge. He was just such a, such a, a key person at Wrigley that a lot of people don't know. And I, I did an earlier book called Banks of Sandberg to Grace. And I had talked to Hank about for a chapter in that it was, that's kind of a first person type thing. And Hank was nice enough to call me and when he when I sent him a copy of the book, he called me and he he left a message on my voicemail saying he did a hell of a job, kid. And I wish I would have saved it because he died shortly after that, and and it it really got to me. Um, I think people like that, like the Hank Sowers, like some of the some of the old timers. Um, I guess I, I would have liked to have gone into that. Right now, I've got I think uh, Tony for sure knows. Ed Hardig, the baseball Cubs historian that a lot of people use, and I've got him reading it. And so if, if I get any negative feedback on somebody I need to add, I think Ed would uh, give me chapter 51, 52. You know, he, Ed, Ed, I think, was pushing, Ed was pushing for the chapter on uh, King Kelly, who was an old time Cub, who uh, was one of the first to start with autographs. Uh, signing things for players so there's a king kelly so that's an ad hardic chapter so um kind of deferred to some friends here for some of the chapters well and when you talk about the 2017 nlds too nate holm actually played a big role in that game in game five remember with the uh Contreras pickoff to first to get lobatone who's now on the cubs so like there's a there's a big circle there um but, you know, kind of switching gears a bit, Kerry, Beth Moens is, is going to broadcast the game for Marquee Sports Network uh, for the first time this year. She's going to become the first woman to broadcast a, a Cubs game. What does that moment mean to you? What do you think the impact it has on and Cubs fans, on the fit, you know, the market, the industry, just this historic moment? Um, it, it, it's historic, but it, again, I also think it's overdue. But um, it's, I mean, you have to remember, I've been covering Major League Baseball since 81. Uh, I started back covering the Twins. So uh, I go way back to, way, way back to before this type of thing happens. Um, I've heard Beth on do, doing basketball games. She's amazing. And what I hope is that people forget that she's a woman as soon as she starts. And I, I don't mean that in a nasty, in a, mean way but i just that's the key is that you want them to forget that it shouldn't matter it really shouldn't matter as long as you're prepared as long as you're a pro as long as you have done your homework uh it shouldn't matter who's doing the who's doing the broadcast um and i i think back to like the giants games they made a big deal about when they had a woman as their pa announcer at uh at t park 
now you go there and you don't even think of it. And that that's to me the way it should be. It just, you know, this is part of life. This is part of baseball. Absolutely. We need to get Good to for the her point. For, for sure. And when, when yeah, Beth is on yeah. the call of a game, we need to get to the point where people just say, you know, she is fantastic and not right. for a female sportscaster. She's just fantastic mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes for what she does when she gets on that microphone. And, and Carrie, when it comes to the industry in general, how, how can not just baseball, but football, basketball, soccer, hockey, lacrosse, how can they be more inclusive to females in this industry? It really comes down to just opportunities. Um, it, it comes down to the people who are making the decisions as to who, you know, gets the job. I mean, I, I remember when I started uh, my first, I was working for a newspaper in Champaign, Illinois, as their, as their columnist, they'd made a big deal about trying to hire a, a woman. The paper folded, I got a job in UP, with UPI in Des Moines because one, they needed a sports writer, but they also needed a woman to fill their quota in their in their bureau in terms of the the sex balance there so i mean it didn't they were they got luck i just happened to be right place right time you know and i knew that for me to be considered uh legit i had to cover pros so i went from des moines to minneapolis to cover the pros up there for upi and that that was a huge step for me but it, it's you really just need the opportunity you need people in the in the who make the decisions to just look at these people and again, look at them not as not as male, female, but just look at their look at their body of work. Look at their look as as to whether you're ready. You can tell. It's kind of like like players. I mean, you can tell, you know, Tony's out there watching ball players in spring training. You can watch them and you can tell. And you can you can see how they handle themselves. And I just like to I would like to see just the front offices become a little more inclusive. It's the same with diversity. Absolutely. Now, Carrie, you said that 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 the quota was what got you the job, but the quality of your work is what has kept you in your role over the years. You know, you've covered Major League Baseball for 40 years now. So what what kind of a point of pride is that for you to know that, okay, I was given this job because of this reason, but I'm still here because of of my work and how how solid that it actually is? You know, I don't I don't look at it that way. I know I have a very good hairdresser who hides the gray. So I uh, but I. I, I, I try not to look at it timing wise. It's, it's a little scary to me to think I've been doing it that long. I mean, I covered Sean Dunstan when he broke in and then I interviewed Sean Dunstan's son when he was drafted by the Cubs. So it, it, that's when I started feeling old and then I see Sean and he's getting a little gray. So I have to talk to him about that. But it, it, it just, if, if you do the job and you're a pro and if you do the job and you don't, you don't draw attention to yourself, you don't, you know, it's, it's not, I'm, I always prefer being in the background. I mean, uh, writing the books has been great. Doing the promo is a little nervous, nerve wracking for me. Cause I'm not really big on touting my own, you know, what I've done around here. Um, I just, I, I think that if you do the job and you're respected, then you're going to get, you know, it'll, you'll stay for a long time. Yeah, I mean, Kerry, you know, when I was first coming into this industry and, and covering the Cubs, it, you know, you were somebody that I learned so much from and so instrumental in my career. And, you know, working alongside you for years, you've been a role model for me. And, and I'm just curious, too, as, as we talk about this and it is Women's History Month. Have you thought about 
your place as maybe a role model for young women trying to break into this industry? Because like you mentioned, you've been covering professional sports and baseball since 1981. Have you thought about that or maybe your place in that? Um, not really, because again, it, it'll make me feel old. I, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't like, I don't like to do that. Um, what, I, what I guess I like, again, I like to think, it, certain, again, I'm going back to ballplayers, but you, you like to think that there are certain players that, that sort of lead by example. And I'd like to think that uh, that other reporters, and I'm not saying men or women, but other reporters could see how I handled myself and could uh, follow that. I appreciate that, Tony, that's very, that's very kind. I know I had, um, MLB.com would have an internship program and I'm usually pretty hard on my interns because I expect a lot from myself. I expect a lot from them, but I know I've, it's been really fun for me to see them at the end of the season even though I'm pretty hard on them, they always give me a nice note and thank me for being tough because it, they said they learned from it. And I, one of the only woman I've had as an intern has gone on to become a PR person for the LPGA. So that, that was the direction she chose, but it's, it's, it's nice to see those kids, you know, develop that way. It's, it's nice to see, um, it, it'd be nice to see, more women getting involved but again it's it's there's still some some old-fashioned attitudes that uh you know that baseball has to fix i mean i i remember it hasn't been that long ago where security guards still look at my credential you know three times as opposed to the men and let them go right in to the clubhouse you know and it's it's i've had to deal with that a lot of times i think now that i'm old enough to be the mother of a lot of these players. Uh, I think it's, that's changed a little bit. You know, I can, we can switch up on that. Gary, how have things changed, not just for you, but the, the fans and just how things have been done in the industry since 1981. I mean, from having to be on a deadline and, and write with a typewriter to being able to, to email stories, things have, have certainly changed in that fashion. Yeah. Um, the, the biggest changes just besides the, the work part of it is just kind of, the way we would deal with, with the players and the managers. I mean, I remember sitting in the dugout with Don Zimmer and Zimmer would just sit there and tell us stories. And that was our pregame manager session. And we'd, we'd sit there and half the time you wouldn't be taking notes because a lot of this stuff would never show up in the paper, but it, it was just fun to do that. Now, shoot, I mean, Tony knows you can't talk to every, anybody without having, you know, 20 microphones around them and you, you've, cameras, they have to watch. Yeah. Exactly. And they have to watch what they say because they've got, you know, Twitter, somebody's going to bang it out on Twitter right away. So they have to be careful with that. Um, I do, we were been joking the other day, I've been during the pandemic, I've been cleaning out closets. And I think I found one of my old uh, uh, Tandy, those trash 80 uh, machines that we used to use with like, what, three or four lines that you could see on your copy. You know, I think I still have one of those. Um, and then we were joking about the old bubble machines where you used to put the, the phone in those. I mean, certainly, you know, the fact that people, I know some reporters, their computers break down, they write their whole story on their phone. You know, the thought of being able to do that, just the mechanics of that is, is crazy to me. But um, it's, I, I miss, I, I miss just some of the, the more casual interactions that you could have. I, Tony will know, and you know anybody who's doing the spring training to cover it. That's one of the best times. That was always my favorite time because you could talk to coaches, you could talk to players. They weren't as as harried, and they weren't, you know, thinking about oh my god, I got to win this game today. They're thinking more about their development, and that those are the days 
that uh, that I'll kind of cherish. Those are the good times. Yeah, and Carrie, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that that's the big line of divide, that line of demarcation between the old school reporters and and the people who are on TV and whatnot, media members, and and the new school. Because when I see a lot of new school, they're sitting there doing their standups and they, and they have their telephone, and I'm I'm just used to note cards, pen and paper, and that seems to be how things were done once upon a time. It, yes, once upon a time. In fact, I still have a stack of notebooks that uh, that I don't can't remember the last time I used them, but I still, you know, shoot, I. I remember I had one intern, uh, he showed up and I was, took out my score book and he said, wow, you still keep score. And I, I looked at him, it's like, how in, how in the world do you keep track of the game otherwise? And he would keep track of the game strictly on the computer. And that was it. He never wrote down, shoot, but he didn't last. Uh, I can tell you that. Keep a hard copy scorebook is the moral exactly. of that story. So, I mean, he didn't have to have a full scorebook, but at least for crying out loud, just keep track. But yeah. no, it's, it's, and I'm not saying that the technical stuff is bad, but uh, I just, I couldn't do that. So it's hard enough for me. Shoot, MLB.com wanted us to take videos. And that was uh, difficult for me because I prefer being able to look at the player face to face, you know, eye to eye and, and to sit there and try and look at the player while you're trying to hold your camera up to take a video is, is was really tricky for me. Yeah, actually, uh, I, I still keep score by hand, too. And uh, for the spring training game, the Cubs just played the White Sox. They didn't have the, the sheets, um, just COVID and stuff at Sloan Park and most other places they still do. Um, but I didn't bring my own. So I was actually kind of going a little nuts like in spring training because, you know, these games don't necessarily count and matter, but it does help you keep track of the game a whole lot more. You can look back just so quickly and be like, oh, what was that? It was a ground out to third, whatever. So I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I think it helps follow the game and process it. But, um, you know, Kerry, one thing I learned from you and I know in talking with you over the years was the day-to-day -day personal interactions and you mentioned with spring training that was something you excelled at was having personal interactions and treating the people as as people as not just as objects or as baseball players but how much did you value that and then you know kind of on, on the same line Anthony Rizzo wrote the foreword for your book how did that kind of come about it and you know was that kind of the byproduct of these day-to-day -day personal relationships that you were able to uh to fill from these guys with these guys yeah, the Rizzo story is funny because I approached him about doing this and he said yes, but he wanted to make sure that he was also a moment. He, he wanted his own chapter. <laughs> Makes sense. So, yes. So, and I, I said, okay, fine. That's, that's fine. Um, and I also made sure that he was chapter number 44. That doesn't mean that he's 44th on the Cubs, but he's, he's just, uh, he's number 44 because that's his uniform. So we made sure that. Um, now Rizzo, Rizzo and I go way back because, again, I um, went to some of his uh, walk-off for cancer events down in Florida. I went to the first, I think I've been to all but three of them, uh, which are the charity events he does in Parkland. Um, and so we've we've developed a really good relationship that way. Um, and again, it's out of respect. You know, you, you, he invited me once to go to a hospital visit that he did, which was just amazing to watch him and his interaction with the kids. Um, so Rizzo easily deserved a chapter. That wasn't a problem, but it was just funny that he's like, well, then actually he was, he might've been my last one-on-one -on -one, uh, interview before the pandemic. Cause I talked to him last spring and I uh, flew down there just, just to talk to him, but he, he didn't exactly just, this is 
I shouldn't say he didn't exactly write it. <laughs> he talked and then I transcribed it. So, but but technically he wrote the forward. So it's his thoughts. So exactly. So, yes. so but they were his thoughts. So yeah. <laughs> in the book, The Big 50, of course, you, you knocked out interview after interview, but is there one person in particular over the years, whether it has to do with the books or your day-to-day -day with the Cubs in the clubhouse, is there any one person that was your favorite person to interview that would absolutely, you would light up, they would light up when you would see each other, and then it just became a conversation as opposed to an interview? Um, well, that's kind of like picking your favorite kid. You know, I can't, <laughs> I, I can't, I, I can't do that. I mean, I, there are too many. we we've joked my husband and i have joked about uh kind of our top 10 you know we, we you know like mark grace is on the list because you could always you could always go to grace he considered in the old old days we'd call him a go-to guy i'm sure maybe they still call yeah. him that but but he would be the guy that you could go to and i've asked him questions about so many bizarre things i can't even uh, begin to count those but but you know it was always Andre Dawson was was really important to me. He was nice when he was elected to the Hall of Fame. I was one of the writers that he had invited to go to Cooperstown when they do their walkthrough before the the ceremony. That really meant a lot to me. Um, I love your guy Dempster. You know, love love Ryan Dempster. Um, it's kind of cool when spring training Ted Lilly and uh, Coy Hill came up to me and they wanted to do something for Dempster's Foundation. So they came up with this, we were trying to come up with an idea and we came up with a cookbook idea. So we did that to sort of benefit uh, Dempster's foundation. But the fact that the players were comfortable enough to come to me and ask me if I could do this for them and uh, was really meant a lot. Um, and then my favorite Sean Dunson story back my first spring training, I was staying in the Mazona Hotel. I, I think it's still there in downtown Mesa. It might have a different name. It's kind of a cruddy hotel but that's that's where all the the well it is that's that and that's my first year spring training and that's where the the cubs rookies would stay and then i was working on something i had the door open to the room and dunston walked by and he we'd met but he stopped and he sat down and he wanted to know about this was this was in 87 so this was early he wanted to know about women in the clubhouse and he wanted to understand you know why we had to go in why you know it was, it was uncomfortable for him and so i tried to explain to him that this was the way for me to do my job the best way and i learned really good piece of advice from jane gross of the new york times a long long time ago and she said consider them like your brothers don't consider them like you know you know, you're not going into the clubhouse full of these men that you don't know, but consider them like your brothers. And it's a little, it's easier to get past kind of the, the dressing, undressing phase that a lot of people get all bent out of shape about and give them space for crying out loud. You know, I mean, that, that's not that hard to do. But um, although as Tony knows, sometimes the TV cameras don't seem to understand that, but never mind that. Especially so, in playoffs. Exactly, exactly. But it's, you know, it's little things like that. Those are, those are the people... My favorite moment from 2016 was after game seven in the clubhouse, you know, everyone's celebrating. And again, Rizzo came over to me and he hugged me and he said he knew that, that I'd been around for a long time and that, you know, I'd seen a lot of the ups and downs of this team and that this meant a lot. And he wanted to just sort of include me in the, in the celebration a little bit that little things like that mean a lot. 
that's a, that's an awesome story with Rizzo, uh, and it totally makes sense too with knowing yeah. him. But uh, you know, Kerry, as as we talked, you, you have mentioned many memories from your career. But as you reflect and in, in quieter moments by yourself, what do you what moments kind of stand out to you? Is it the big things like 2016, or uh, you know, the Kerry Wood 20 strikeout game? Or, you know, for me, like David Bodie's Grand Slam, as we mentioned before, that's always something that'll stand out to me because it was a big moment, but because I think that was this amazing reminder to me that no game, is, that every game is sacred, that you never know what can happen, that this game is just so incredible that, you know, two strikes, uh, teams being shut out, you're down three runs, two outs, bam, like all of a sudden one of the greatest moments in baseball history happens. But what stands out to you from, from your career that, that you always think about, that you cherish the, those memories? Well, if I, if I had to do like the top 50 moments, to be perfectly honest, the number one game would have been Kerry Woods game because that, that game was just so incredible. I mean, the, he comes out of nowhere. Uh, really, there were a lot of questions about whether or not he could make it in the big leagues. He'd had some difficulties with his control. And then, you know, it's just a typical May game and, and it's cloudy and you don't, you have no idea what's going to happen. And you could see, I mean, we kind of see that he cut his, his warm-up short in the bullpen, and you, you just don't know what to expect. And, of course, the first pitch he throws hits the umpire. So then you're thinking, okay, this is this guy's not going to even last, like, three innings. And then, boom. I mean, it, it, it was just such an amazing game. And this goes back to what you just said. You never know, you never know what you're going to see that day. You never know what's going to happen. You never know if you're going to have some rookie kid in his fifth start throw one hitter and, and set a major league record with strikeouts. You just never know. And it, it just, just Woody with the arm pump at the end of the game and knowing that it wasn't because of the strikeouts, because he wasn't really aware of that. It was because he'd thrown a complete game and he hadn't walked guys. And he was just so excited about that. And, and it just, to, and to get to know Wood carry over the years, I call him Woody, sorry, to get to know Woody over the years is, is, made it even more special. I mean, that to me has always been my favorite game. I still have, I've been doing house cleaning. I still have uh, the, I did a story for USA Today at, uh, at that time. Um, I still have all that. I still have a lot of the Carrie Wood stories. I can't find my scorebook. I keep looking around for that. That's the next project. But it, it um, that, that's my number one game. Okay, Kerry, over the last few days, of course, we've heard uh, Pat Hughes step in in the booth for John Bugshiambi. And when I hear Pat Hughes, it, it somewhat reminds me just a little bit of hearing Rick Monday. I know Rick Monday, he's on, on the radio call with, with Charlie Steiner for Dodgers games. And what, what kind of super pairing would that be? Pat Hughes and Rick Monday on the call. But Rick Monday, he slides in at number 20 on that list. And for, for those who don't know, I mean, that was an unbelievable chain of events, especially with everything when you think about the, the flag and, and his service time with the Cubs. And for, for those who don't know, just give just a, a quick peek into that one. Um, it, he was playing, uh, Cubs were playing the Dodgers and he's that's between innings and all of a sudden he sees these two guys on the field and they've got a flag. And he saw that they it looked like they were doing something to the flag, could see he realized, boom, these people are going to set fire to it. He could see the, the um, what do you call it, the lighter fluid or whatever they were using. And he raced over, grabs the flag, and picks it up away from him. Of course, you know, security finally gets out there and gets the guys. But 
what's cool to me now to find what I tried to do with some of these stories is to update them. So what is cool to me now is that Monday has the flag. And what he does is he goes to different veterans groups and they uh, raise money for different veterans groups by kind of showing, showing the flag and talking about it and talking about his experience. The man's talked about, you know, the incident forever, but it's just so, it's just so neat to me that, um, that he had the, the uh, wherewithal and was aware, was alert enough to to see what was happening and to stop it. Well, Rick Monday and the flag that comes in at number twenty. There are forty nine other moments in the Big Fifty. The men and the moments who made the Chicago Cubs. It's penned by this woman right here, Carrie Muscat. She's covered Major League Baseball for forty years. Not not to not to try to date. I I but Carrie, <laughs> that, that that's a badge of honor. Hopefully someday someone says you've covered this team or yeah. multiple teams for 40 years. That's yeah. certainly a point of pride. And, and we're glad to have you here on the Cubs weekly podcast. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. No, oh, thank you. This, this was a lot of fun. I just very jealous of Tony down there in Arizona. So <laughs> have to get down there as soon as we can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. Thank you. All right, Tony, always a pleasure catching up with Carrie. Like you said, she was instrumental when, when you came into the game here. And uh, I'm sure she's going to continue to be a wealth of knowledge for us, but for Cubs fans as, as well. And we'll continue to tap into her knowledge. But in the meantime, uh, she pretty much chronicled the, the past. So now let's look forward to the future because April 1st, taking on the Pittsburgh Pirates, that's game number one of this 2021 campaign. There's a lot of question marks. And, you know, one of the question marks that I have is a guy like Shelby Miller. We've seen what he's been able to do in the past, but like we said, Carrie, she chronicled the past. We're looking towards the future, Tony. What do you think Shelby Miller is going to bring to the table this season, man? Yeah, you know, let's put it this way. Shelby Miller is firmly on the Cubs radar this spring. He has been all spring. He absolutely needs to be on the radar of Cubs fans. He has been okay. arguably the most impressive pitcher in spring. And, you know, there are a lot of guys that have looked good. Rex Brothers has looked really good here. Uh, Edward Alzali has, has, you know, had the the really good off-field kind of stuff in terms of his mentorship with, like, Jake Arrieta learning, following him, that great story there. But Shelby Miller is this awesome comeback story. He didn't pitch at all in 2020. He opted out of the season shortly after the, the short season started. He was at the alternate site for the Brewers in Wisconsin. And yeah, so I mean, he hasn't pitched since 2019, but he's out there throwing 94-95. He's developed this slider that he said is the first time that he's really felt like he's had an out pitch. So this is a pretty accomplished you know, guy with a pretty accomplished career. He's a former all-star. He's been traded for Jason Hayward and Dansby Swanson in his career. And he now has an out pitch for the first time. And it's a slider that, that looks pretty good. He, he threw it to uh, a couple of White Sox hitters the other day and, and got some success on it. So Shelby is, is a guy that he's the Cubs want to use him in multiple different ways. He's probably going to impact the rotation at some point as a spot starter. He's probably at this rate, if you ask me, I think he's making the opening day roster in the bullpen right now. But then we'll be, you know, impacting the, the um, as a two, three inning guy after that. They might use him as a one inning guy. Heck, we could even see him as like a late inning high leverage reliever, too. So I think there's a lot of different options for Shelby Miller, but he's going to be an important piece of this pitching staff this season. What do you say? Do you potentially see Shelby Miller in the role that Jeremy Jeffress was in last year? Because with the way things have looked right now from Craig Kimbrell and the, I don't want to call it the lack of support from David Ross, but reading between the lines and David Ross's comments, some, something isn't right with Craig Kimbrell. When you see that velocity, which is normally 98, 99, and it's 93, 94, 95, that, that's a drastic departure from what he's used to. 
Yeah, no, it is. And, and I think the concerns with Kimbrell, you know, spring training performance doesn't matter. That qualifier is, is always there. But Wait, hold on course, a second, Tony. I, you always hear that. But he, here's the thing. When you go out there in spring training, it's not like a guy saying, okay, I'm going to see if I can let as many guys get knocks off me or right. allow as many dudes on base as possible. No, absolutely not, especially when you're a reliever and, and specifically when you're the closer. When, you are, when you're a closer, you have that closer's mentality eight days a week. You go out there saying, I, I don't care if I have to throw 90 pitches. I would love to strike three guys out on 90 pitches as opposed to get three ground ball outs. But either way, that's not necessarily what, what we're seeing more times than not. No, for sure. And that's actually what I was going to say is like with Kimbrel, I think the results, there are some levels of concern that go along with it too. Yeah, my, man, because, my man's got that, that cart back there. Yeah. A little, little noisy. He's getting, getting that work in. Cleaning crews coming in. There you um, go. But no, yeah. So with Kimbrel, I think there is a level of concern that the performance kind of matches up with, with the level of concern. And David Ross has said it, you know, Tommy Hodder, he mentioned that, that Kimbrel's working through some things. He's at a better place than he is than he was last season during summer camp and working through some of the mechanical issues because they like where his arm's at, but they want to get his lower body, his legs, a little bit more in line and clean up those mechanics a bit. And they feel like they can do that. And once they do that, you know, we're starting seeing the results. We're starting seeing the, the little bit tick up in velocity as well. So I, I think the the important thing with Kimbrel is that the concerns kind of match the eye test and the results that we're seeing. And then the spring trainings don't, you know, stats don't count kind of thing applies more to like a Kyle Hendricks who the last time out, he was working on different pitches. He was specifically trying to work on like two seam fastballs and changeups and and different things to right-handed hitters in particular. And, and that is where he ended up giving up a couple of hits and, and whatever. So it's like that doesn't really work as much. But with Kimbrel, yeah, there are there are some concerns here. There's still two and a half weeks left before opening day. Mm -hmm. Cubs feel confident they can kind of, you know, fix these things, nip these things in the bud. And by opening day, he'll be ready to go as a closer. Yeah, five miles an hour when it comes to velocity, that's that's tough to just reach in your back pocket and, and refine that if that's if that's what he's going for right now. But, you know, when it comes to Craig Kimbrell, hopefully he's able to find, you know, what, what was able to project or catapult him to almost inside the top 10 when it comes to saves all time. If I'm not mistaken, it was 13th, Tony, or is he currently 12th? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know specifically, but I mean, certainly like he's a guy that if you look at the 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 entire broad you know, scope of his work, he's on the Hall of Fame trajectory. And, and obviously he would still need, you know, another year or two, but like before coming to Chicago, he was probably like a no doubt Hall of Famer. At least that was the path he was on. So, so yeah, I mean, I think there's still a lot in there and we saw it too last year. Like he was, ex he was dominant down the stretch in September and really the last six weeks of the season. So, you know, it, I think it, this, he is a huge guy. He's, a, he's an important part of this team. And if the Cubs are going to go where they want to go and compete in the division, Craig Kimbrell it needs to be right. Absolutely. Another guy who needs to be right. And, and uh, from everything we've seen so far, just from last season and so far in spring and that, that budding relationship we've seen with Jake Arrieta, it's Albert Alzali. I mean, this guy right here, not only is his stuff electric, he, he has that, 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 that next level because he's always willing to learn. He always wants to get better every single time out. And like we said, that it's that relationship that he's built with the veterans, whether it's, it's Jake Arrieta or it's Kyle Hendricks, he's always looking to make tweaks in his game. And that right there is the sign of a true pro. You always know that you need to make your weaknesses, your strengths. And Tony, like we always say, the biggest room in the house is the room for improvement. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that's the, the great thing about Alzali. And it's, it's really part of the reason why the Cubs have been so high on this guy for a while is the intangibles, the personality. Like, I always think back to I was covering the game when he made his major league debut and, and he came off and, and he, like, tipped his hat to the crowd after. Like, what rookie – coming up, you know, throws like, I think it was four innings in relief, yeah. three innings in relief. And he, he got a great ovation, maybe even a standing ovation. I can't recall that, but he tips his head to the crowd. Like the, the kind of, you know, the personality, the audacity, but he's not, he's not cocky or at all. He's just, that's who he is. He's a very like, you know, kind of like wholesome guy. And so, um, but his, his thirst for knowledge and to try to get better is something that the Cubs have always appreciated and held in high regard. And when you couple that with a 95 mile an hour fastball and speaking of Shelby Miller adding a slider, that's what Alzali did last year in, in uh, that summer camp and at the alternate site. So he is, he's honestly going to be in kind of a Shelby Miller type role too, I think to start where you'll see him in the rotation. Some you'll see him in the bullpen, maybe as a, as a one inning guy out of the bullpen, or maybe as two or three innings. Cause both these guys with their mid nineties fastballs, imagine you have like Alec Mills or Zach Davies or Kyle Hendricks. And then one of these guys coming after it, or splitting them in a series, like say you have like Hendricks and Davies games one and three in a series, and you've got one of these guys uh, starting game two, it, that's, it gives the Cubs a lot of options. So that's why I think both of these guys, Elzlai and Miller, are going to be super important to this pitching staff. Absolutely. Whether it's it's Miller or Elzlai or Jake Arrieta, like I, I said like a, a time or two before, if you put those guys at two and at four in, inside of that rotation and have some of the soft tossers, the guys that pitch more to contact in at one and three and five, and it depends, maybe if, if there's a six slot in that rotation, I think that's going to stagger things up just enough for David Ross to keep the opposition, you know, out, out front, off balance and having the Cubs keep getting wins because it's, it's all about being able to pitch to contact. And after all, ground balls, extremely democratic and those outs they look just the same in the books as strikeouts and, and fly balls so we're going to see a lot of those guys that are so-called soft tossers we're going to see them get a lot of quality outs this season and I can't wait for it in April 1st it's right around the corner another thing I can't wait for is to see a lot of guys return to their usual selves because I've seen you know a lot of the lines have been set where they have the Cubs winning only 75 games and as I look up and down this lineup I'm seeing Javi Baez. I'm seeing Anthony Rizzo, KB, Wilson Contreras, Jason Hayward, Jock Peterson. And the way that these guys are playing, I think that there's a lot more wins than 75 in their back pocket. But when it comes to a guy like Javi, if there's anyone that we want to see return to their usual self, it has to be El Mago. We know what he can do defensively, but I think this year he's going to wake back up again when it comes to that bat. Yeah, I, th I think so too. And, and he even you know acknowledged that like, he struggled and he struggled to make adjustments last year and he felt in a rush all year. And yeah. he, he felt like he talked to the media down here just the other day. And, and he talked, uh, he felt like he just wasn't, you know, focused in the right way that he needed to be really since the world series, there was all these different things like, you know, the ESPN body issue, he got a street named after him in Chicago and Humboldt park. He was, you know, in the world baseball classic and, and uh, for Puerto Rico and just all these different things that, you know, in social media videos here and getting an autograph there. And, and, and it kind of, it, it didn't go to his head per se, but it just, he said he felt like he got away from baseball a little bit and he wasn't as focused on getting better day to day as he needed to be. He felt like that last year, then the pandemic hit. So it just kind of shut everything down. And, and he, he said it, and, and I really like the way he said it. He's like, everybody says it was a year. Everybody says it was a season, but it was two months. And it really was, it was just two months. And he felt like he couldn't catch up. And that's, you know, we see that with his OPS under 600 for the year. So for the quote unquote year, 
So, yeah, I think he's a huge guy that he's looked really good this spring. The results have been good. The swings have been good. And I think more importantly to it, it's been the things that he's not swinging at, right? He's not necessarily chasing out of the zone. And, and I think that approach has been there. So Javi is one of the most important players on the Cubs because of what he does defensively, because of his vocal leadership and baseball IQ. But yeah, if you're talking about getting that bat back to that MVP level that he was in, in 18 and 19, I mean, that that's going to pay huge dividends for this team. Uh, you know, another guy who's hoping to pay huge dividends. And from everything we've seen so far, I mean, he looks unbelievable. He looks like he's an MVP candidate, at least right about now. But it's a new acquisition in Jock Peterson. You know, he, he's out there swinging a bat, looking like Eddie Munster, walking down the stairs in those opening credits. Uh, he he <laughs> is locked in. I don't care if it's versus right-handed pitchers or left-handed pitchers. This is a guy who's going out there this season. He's looking to make a name for himself and prove that he can be that everyday player. Because, Tony, after all, he turned down offers to play elsewhere, but it would have been in a platoon role. Yeah, you know, Cole, I, I'm actually surprised that it took this long for you to make a pop culture reference. I was waiting for it this whole podcast. I, I don't was know, like, I don't know if the monsters are necessarily a pop culture reference. Uh, if it's it's still a program that was in black and white. So All right, that's I, I don't true, know how popular, but still. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how popular Butch Patrick in the role of Eddie Munster is, but either, either way. Have you ever seen the monsters? Yeah, I have. I, I couldn't okay. tell you that Butch Patrick played Eddie Munster, well, but yes. Right. Okay. Yeah, um, but yeah, Jack Peterson has, has done great this spring and, and he he's talked he's a guy that he's he has a lot of fire. He has a lot of that prove it mentality. He wants to prove something to his, himself and, and that's such a powerful weapon because he wants to show he's an everyday player. He wants to show he can play against left-handed uh, pitchers. He wants to show that he is a better defender than the metrics have shown over the last few years. And and he didn't knock the Dodgers, but he wasn't super happy about how he was used there. He, he wanted to be this everyday guy. He wanted to be free in the outfield and not just be so rigid and analytical and, hey, stand in one spot because that's what the card in your back pocket says to do against this hitter, against this pitcher, you know, with this pitcher on the mound. He wants to be more free, see the game, be more like a center fielder and left. And I think that's going to be – you know, this this really kind of valuable weapon for the Cubs is, is this is a two-way player, and this is a highly, highly motivated player going into his walk year, too, because, you know, he, he can be a free agent at the end of the season as well. So that we're already seeing the fruits of that this spring, but if he can carry it over, and that's one thing David Ross just said a couple of days ago, is he would love to package Jack Peterson up and just ship him to Chicago and start the season right now with him. It doesn't work that way, so we'll see how the next two weeks play out, but right now Peterson is a central part of this lineup. Yeah, the way he's seeing the ball right now, hopefully things remain status quo and he's able to see the ball like that once the season arrives because like we like whether it's a Eddie Munster bat or he's swinging a guitar, the guy's making a lot of good contact out there. And uh, like we said, to see Kyle Schwarber go elsewhere, especially after the season he had last year, somewhat of a down campaign. Hopefully Jock has some big numbers right there waiting for him to show on some of those Cubs fans this season. Now, when it comes to Guy's being banged up a little bit. Austin Romine, we know that behind the dish, he's had some bumps and bruises. If he's not ready to go come uh, April 1st, who's going to be the Cubs' backup, Tom? Yeah, it's a good question. And right now, Romine has a little bit of, like, right knee soreness and inflammation. So he's been held out of camp for, I think, about a week now. It's been about what it is. But, yeah, if, if he's not able to go, and, and the Cubs are being understandably cautious because these are just exhibition games, if he is not ready to get up to speed by opening day, then there's a couple options. There's Jose Lobaton, who we just mentioned in 
talking with Kerry, he was the guy that was picked off uh, when Wilson Contreras picked him off first base in, mm-hmm. in game five of the 2017 NLDS. He's a veteran that's been around for a while, a switch hitter that uh, has a lot of games under his be- MLB games under his belt. So he would be able to handle the pitching staff. And then there's PJ Higgins, who the Cubs are very high on. He's, he's a prospect that's come up through their system and, and they love some of the swing changes that he's made. He can play multiple positions, but, you know, particularly that catcher as well. So if Romine is unable to go for some reason, I think those are the two options. And you'll probably see Lobatone just because they want that veteran presence back there. But I think at some point, you know, this year or next, Higgins is going to be a guy we're going to see at Wrigley Field making an impact of some sort behind the plate. All right. Well, April 1st versus the Pittsburgh Pirates, that will be go time. There'll be no fooling around once the regular season arrives. And uh, Tony's still fooling around down there in Arizona. Have you gotten sunburnt yet? I mean, that's what we wished upon you a few weeks ago. I don't I don't see. It looks like you've been uh, following all your precautions. A little copper tone there, a little uh, yeah. de soleil. Yeah, no, I've been good. Uh, Scott Shagnon got sunburned um, like a week ago or so ago okay, that, that, he, he that's had good it. news yeah yeah no it was all like around <laughs> his neck and like it was it was actually pretty funny so um but no i've not gotten sunburned yet i've been putting sunscreen on every day just like my mom taught me okay safety first then teamwork that's that's rules to live by as always tony andraki always a pleasure catching up with you here on this cubs weekly podcast like to thank you also like to thank carrie muscat for joining us here on the show and with that It's going to bring this Cubs Weekly Podcast to a resounding close. As always, we're presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home to Chicago Cubs Checking. Check us out on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also see us on the Marquee Sports Network application. You can see us this week. You can also see us next week once we reconvene. So until then, for Tony and Kerry, I'm Cole. Have a good week, everybody. Go Cubs.